Hello everybody and welcome into episode number 184 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We are reading the fifth chapter of Luke today and our focus is on how our greatest need is not actually health and the type of people that Jesus calls. Well, every day we read and process and think about and learn from one chapter of the Bible a day. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it when you share the show with your friends and family. One way you can do that is to go to our website, Bible2021.com. It's the easiest way to subscribe to the show. There are links there to subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and other places as well. Also, we have a contact page and show notes. Well, two topics for today. What kind of guy was Peter before he met Jesus? Well, we don't know for sure. He was obviously a fisherman, and beyond that, very little is known. He was married. Uh, that's about it. But we do get a big glimpse into the character of Peter in today's passage. Jesus preaches a message from Peter's boat and then tells Peter and his mates to throw their net into the shallow water, which, if you're net fishing, is rarely a good place to catch a bunch of fish with a net. And yet, Peter and his crew catch more than like two boatfuls of fish. So how does Peter respond to this amazing miracle? Well, it's actually a most curious way. We read it in verses 8 and 9 of our passage today. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of the fish they had taken. Well, two options here. Was Peter just kind of being humble and self-effacing, or was he being honest? Well, based on what we see from Peter in the first couple of years he spends with Jesus, my bet is that he was being more honest than humble. Seeing Jesus perform this miracle and realizing God was with him in a mighty way, now at this point, Peter probably did not realize who Jesus was, that he was God and the Son of God. Peter was suddenly aware of his utter sinfulness, and it overwhelmed him. Likewise, later in the passage, we see Jesus calling Matthew or Levi a tax collector. Now, while it's certainly possible that Matthew was that rare tax collector who was scrupulously honest, it's quite true that his profession otherwise was hated and despised by the Jewish people in the first century. At the very least, even if Matthew was honest and good-hearted and did his job well, he would have been far from popular and well-liked. He would have been despised. And yet, Jesus calls sinful Peter and unpopular Matthew to crucial and important places on his disciple team. Peter would go on to become the de facto leader of the disciples after the death of Jesus, dictating the book of Mark and also writing First and Second Peter. And Matthew, of course, would go on to write the gospel of Matthew and become one of the greatest witnesses of the life, teachings, death, and resurrection of Jesus in history. So what does that tell us about who Jesus calls? Well, he calls sinful people. Maybe not even just average sinful people, but above average sinful people. Not only that, he calls unpopular people. And again, probably not mildly unpopular people or the kind of people that might get uh, slightly bullied at school. Now, the tax collectors in the first century would have been exceedingly unpopular. So who does Jesus call? Sinful people and unpopular people. I mean, does he also call uh, relatively good people and relatively popular people? I suppose so. But here's the thing. When we look and see who Jesus calls and then who he turns them into, I don't know about you, 
But I take great comfort in that because I was something of a scoundrel when Jesus called me. And I think there's this idea that we have to clean ourselves up before we are saved. And that's just, uh, that was the opposite of what the gospel is. The gospel is no matter who you are, uh, Jesus will wash you. He will forgive you. He will save you. He calls unpopular people. He calls sinful people. He had an incredible ministry with the uh, prostitutes and the tax collectors and those that were on the fringes of society. And really, the only people that struggled with Jesus were like the elite of the elite and the uh, religious professionals. So take of that what you will. And let's read our passage. And then we're going to discuss why in the world Jesus uh, forgave the paralytic man before he healed him. One of the uh, most Astounding things in the Gospels, honestly. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had caught. And so were James and John Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. While he was in one of the towns, a man was there who had leprosy all over him. He saw Jesus, fell face down, and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But the news about him spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. On one of those days, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea, and also from Jerusalem, and the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then some men came, carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God. And they were filled with awe and said, 
We've seen incredible things today. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. There was a huge crowd of tax collectors and others who were reclining at the table with them. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus replied to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then they said to him, John's disciples fast often and say prayers, and those of the Pharisees do the same, but yours eat and drink. Jesus said to them, You can't make the wedding guests fast while the groom is with them, can you? But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, not only will he tear the new, but also the piece from the new garment will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. It will spill and the skins will be ruined. No, new wine is put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants new because he says the old is better. So, go to any church prayer meeting, and it's pretty likely that the majority of the prayer requests there will be health-related. Now, it's a good and godly and commanded thing, see James chapter 5, for us to pray for healing in the church. No complaint there. But I do sometimes wonder, and I think I've mentioned this before, if we've over-prioritized the health of people, at least in our prayer requests. Now, maybe I should just speak for myself. When I look at the Word of God, I'm convicted that I myself spend too much time praying for health-related requests versus the other things that I might be praying about. There's a couple of big reasons that I say that. First, You don't see much mention of health and healing in many of the recorded prayers of the New Testament, either in the Lord's Prayer or Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, nor in the many apostolic prayers that we find scattered throughout the the New Testament. Again, that's not to minimize healing. We can clearly see in the Gospels in the book of Acts how the proclamation of the good news and the healing and deliverance of people went hand in glove, much more so than what we see today in modern Western churches. Another reason, though, I think we might have health as too high of a priority in our prayers is our passage today, the famous story of Jesus and the paralytic. Consider what happens in verses 18 and 19. Just then, men came carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, immediately after Jesus does this, the scribes and the Pharisees are furious that Jesus had the audacity to forgive sins. They're like, who does this guy think he is? But you know what? That's not my biggest question. My biggest question is quite simply this, and I'm sure it's your biggest question too. Why does the most compassionate and wise person that ever walked the face of the earth take one look at this paralytic and say, oh, I forgive your sins? And the answer couldn't be clearer because it's crystal clear that Jesus does what he does for a reason. This is most intentional. First, he forgives the man, then he heals the man because this man's greatest need and my greatest need and your greatest need is forgiveness and reconciliation with God. Isaiah 59 nails our sin problem in the first two verses where it says, Indeed, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save and his ear not too deaf to hear, but your iniquities, your sins, 
are separating you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. Ouch! He won't hear our prayers when we're steeped in sin. Our sins are our biggest problem because prior to being washed and forgiven by Jesus, our sins separate us from God and bar us from entering heaven. Yes, that paralytic man had a desperate need for physical healing, but his need for forgiveness and reconciliation was even greater. So what has Jesus done for us? Well, according to Colossians 1.22, Now he has reconciled you, in other words, brought us back into a good relationship with God by his physical body through his his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. That's what the forgiveness of Jesus means. Holy, faultless, blameless, able to be in the presence of God, able to spend eternity in heaven. So don't let that limit you in seeking prayer for physical healing. Once again, that's a good and God-honoring thing to do. Just remember, when we're talking about eternity, temporary physical healing is not nearly as important as permanent spiritual forgiveness and reconciliation. Well, let's close today with our Bible memory verse for the month of July. It's from Luke 6, 47 through 48. Jesus says, I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. Amen. Good day to you, friends, and Godspeed.